Great. Once again, good morning. Good morning to everyone. It's always great to see such a broad group of Canadians come out early in the morning to hear about things that are important to us all. And today we're particularly lucky to have uh, uh, Minister Morneau with us uh, to talk about a very important budget uh, that was recently released. My name is Danny Asaf, and I have the pleasure this year as serving as the president of the Canadian Club of Toronto and uh, delighted and honored to be your co-host today along with our partners and our friends at the Empire Club of Canada uh, represented by my colleague and cohort uh, Gordon McIver whom you hear from uh, very shortly as well. So it is an impressive crowd that we look out I look out across today and think, and it was mentioned to me earlier, you know, with the uh, now being 2016, there's a lot of flexibility in how people can dress to work, often casual. And not many people can get this many people on a Friday to come out in formal business wear, and for the guys especially in uh, wearing their ties. So that's an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary accomplishment, Minister, to show the respect that everybody <laughs> has for you. And we were going to hold this, we thought maybe we were going to hold this at... Uh, the only other place that would accommodate was the Sky Dome, but apparently there's some kind of home opener and a baseball team or something. It was a little hard to displace, so uh, we're lucky to be here all today. Here at the Canadian Club, we are, and the Empire Club of Canada, extremely proud of our rich history of being able to attract uh, influential leaders and decision makers who make important policy and decisions on behalf of us all on things that are near and dear to our hearts. Both of our clubs have provided Canadians for decades closely guarded, nonpartisan platforms where we can freely and openly exchange ideas on these things that do impact our lives. Through our programs, many, like today, joint programs, including often youth and young leaders programs, diversity partnerships, and media and social media initiatives were able to bring these things to our audiences and our members. We are always committed to bringing a diverse set of speakers on a range of topics who will address things in thoughtful, even sometimes provocative ways, but always provide us with important insights. And today's topic is obviously no exception to hear, to listen about this very important budget. And a budget, of course, in many ways, is a reflection of our collective investment in our future and how we want to see our country. And periodically, whether you're a person, whether you're a company, or whether you're a country, you want to think about, and it's important, to renew an investment in yourself. And this government and our recent election offered that vision to Canadians. And the majority of Canadians chose that. And today we're going to hear from the Minister about this inaugural budget. But of course, the best investment plans and the best initiatives mean nothing without great people to implement them. And we'll get a chance to learn a little bit more about our dear guest speaker and his track record and the hands that our future is in. Before we get to that, I would like to take an opportunity to ask our, our uh, esteemed, uh, honored guest, uh, Minister Morneau, to draw a business card 
from our collection there, and the winner will receive, courtesy of Air Canada, a $250 airline voucher, and we're proud to say Air Canada is a sponsor of the Canadian Club for this 2015-2016 season. Lynn Chow, our Executive Director, will announce the winner. Our winner is Patrick DeRochi from Environmental Defense. Now, it's my pleasure and my honor now to take an opportunity to introduce our head table guests, and I would ask our guests to please stand as I recognize you and remain standing until everyone has been introduced. And ladies and gentlemen, similarly, I would ask you to please refrain from applause until, again, I've had the, the pleasure and the honor of introducing all of our guests. So head table guests, to begin with, uh, Gordon McIver, President, Empire Club of Canada, Executive Director, National Forum on uh, Public Property. Richard Talbot, Chief Operating Officer, RBC Capital Markets. Jennifer Sloan, Immediate Past President, the Canadian Club uh, immediate, immediate past, my immediate predecessor, the Canadian Club of Toronto, and now Vice President, Public Policy uh, Canada, MasterCard. Andrea Wood, Wood, immediate past president of the Empire Club of Canada, Senior Vice President, Legal Services, TELUS. Sean Weir, National Managing Partner and CEO, Borden Ladner-Gervais, Ladner LLP. Michael Latimer, President and CEO, OMERS. Gillian Riley, Executive Vice President, Canadian Commercial Banking, Scotiabank. The Honorable Charles Sousa, Ontario's Minister of Finance. Howard Cohen, Senior Vice President, TD Business Banking. Mark Wiseman, President and CEO, CPP Investment Board. Daryl White, CEO and Group Head, BMO Capital Markets. Mohamed Alzebak, President and CEO, Canadian Development and Marketing Corporation, co-founder and board member, Lifeline Syria. John Campion, past president, Empire Club of Canada, partner, Faskin Martineau. Helen Reeves, vice president, marketing and communications, Morneau Chappelle. Nikki Holland, director, public affairs, Carpenters District Council of Ontario. And of course, the honorable Bill Morneau, federal finance minister. Ladies and gentlemen, I present you your head table guests. Thank you. And now I would like to take an opportunity as well uh, to thank today's event sponsors, and they include BMO Financial Group, Borden Ladner Gervais LLP, Carpenters District Council of Ontario, RBC Capital Markets, Scotiabank, and TD Bank Group. Thank you all for your generous, generous support of today's event. Greatly appreciate it. And before I formally introduce today's speaker, I want to let our live audience know you can join the conversation via Twitter. Yes, we have joined the modern age, and you can follow us at CDN, CLB, TO, and Empire underscore Club. Now, it's my pleasure to head to the main event and introduce our main speaker. Now, of course, every generation probably feels it lives in decisive times. Our generation feels no less. And as I mentioned earlier, this budget is something that we have all been anticipating and looking forward to hearing more specifically from our guest speaker. And again, without 
capable, experienced, and well-intentioned people, these plans mean nothing. And today, it is a pleasure to welcome and honor our new finance minister, Bill Morneau, and hear from him. On March 22nd, the Honorable Bill Morneau, who, was called, who has called Parliament Hill his political home for the past five months, delivered, in fact, his first budget. And it's been the talk of the land ever since. The government, by its own account, has big plans to recapture hope and optimism by injecting billions into our economy and investing in our future. Over the next decade, there are plans that include things such as spending $120 billion on infrastructure. Prior to this role, he served as, in the business world as the executive chair of Canada's largest HR services organization, Morneau Chappelle. He was a pension investment, investment advisor to the Ontario Minister of Finance for two years, beginning in 2012. And he was later appointed to the expert panel to recommend an Ontario pension plan supplement to the CPP. And he has demonstrated throughout his life and his career also a commitment to community and his intention to better our community. He is the past chair of St. Michael's Hospital, Covenant House, and as well the C.D. Howe Institute. He has also offered his expertise to educational institutions, including the Canadian Merit Scholarship Foundation, the Learning Partnership, and the Canadian INSEAD Foundation. He was also instrumental in founding a special school for Somali and Sudanese youth in an African refugee camp. Ladies and gentlemen, we are delighted. Again, we are honored that he has taken the time to join us today. And would you please join me in a warm welcome to our federal finance minister, Mr. Bill Morneau. Well, uh, thank you very much to all of you for coming out, and uh, I guess I need to start with an apology for all of those of you who are wearing ties this Friday morning because of this. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty incredible room we have here this morning. It's uh, vastly exceeded my expectations for 7 a.m. on a Friday morning, so uh, thank you to all of you for, for coming out. and. Uh, I guess I'd like to start by saying it's, an, it's a great honor to be representing all of you here as, uh, as Canada's finance minister. But as many of you know, I'm first and foremost the uh, member of parliament for, uh, for Toronto Centre. So for me, it feels particularly good to be addressing uh, a hometown crowd this morning. As you may know, I've, uh, I've been traveling to uh, many places far and wide, so it's nice to be here among, among so many friends. So sincere thanks for coming out so early in the morning. Before I begin this morning, I'd like to thank the Empire Club of Canada and the uh, Canadian Club of Toronto for, uh, for hosting this breakfast this morning. And I guess I'd like to thank Danny for that, uh, that very kind introduction. And I'd also like to acknowledge several of my colleagues who are here with me this morning. We have uh, Majid uh, Jory, uh, Francesco Sorbera, Rob Oliphant, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, Salma Zahid, and Marco Mendocino. We are, uh, have been very successful as the Liberal Party in having a large number of Toronto members of Parliament, and I'm, I'm delighted so many of you could come out to, uh, to join us this morning. I'd also like to thank my... Yeah. 
I'd also like to thank my, my friend Charles Sousa, uh, the, uh, the Minister of Finance for Ontario, and all of our colleagues at Queen's Park for being here, as well as any, anybody from the City of Toronto. I know there are some people from the City of Toronto here who are here with us today. I can say that uh, their ongoing collaboration and support is, uh, is hugely appreciated and a, a very important uh, issue for us as we try to make a real difference for Canadians. I want to reiterate how important it is for us as a federal government to be a reliable partner with the province and with the city to be of service to people in the city of Toronto. And for those of you who didn't hear, um, you're probably in the wrong room by now. I did, uh, I did release the budget on March 22nd. Uh, we believe that this is a first and, and a critically important step in telling Canadians uh, what we're about as a government. And since March 22nd, I've had the opportunity, along with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and my cabinet colleagues, to tell our budget story, both here at home and around the world. Earlier this week, I was traveling in Atlanta, Canada. I was in Fredericton and uh, Charlottetown and Cape Breton. Yes, Fredericton, Charlottetown, and Cape Breton. Um, and uh, yesterday I headed to uh, southwestern Ontario uh, to talk about our budget. Before that, I was in Ottawa and Montreal and in the south shore of uh, Montreal. I've also had the chance to take our message to international audiences. Uh, last week I was in New York and in Paris and in London. So I can tell you I've met with economists, I've met with representatives of the financial sector, and I've met with investors from around the world. And I can tell you, and I'm very happy to report, that the reviews on our budget are in, and they have been very, very strong. We are finding that people are telling us, especially those people from abroad, pretty much all the same thing. They really like what we're doing either over here or up there in Canada. They're telling us that they like what, we're, what we've chosen to do with our budget. People are taking note of Canada's new government, You've seen it and you've heard about it and of our fundamentally new approach to fiscal policy in this country. I can tell you from, from Wall Street to the IMF to the OECD and the G20 and even to the, the little rural village I visited last week in Saint-Valentin in, uh, in Quebec's eastern township, people really do believe that we're on to something. And I'll just give you a few uh, insights of what we're hearing. The Financial Times calls Canada a glimmer of light for our, our wise use of fiscal policy in, uh, in, in our investments in the economy. They say it's a clear sign of our understanding of exactly what we need to do in these economic times. And for those of you who might have been watching, this week, Christine Lagarde of the IMF praised Canada's approach, saying that using the fiscal space available to us, but in a manner that's credible, targeted and realistic is the right decision at this point in time. And I believe these people are saying this because our government is focused on doing exactly the right things for our economy and for Canadians at this stage. First and foremost, as I think you've seen, we're focused on people. Budget 2016 is first and foremost about restoring hope for the middle class in Canada. It's about revitalizing the economy and providing support for Canadian families. Even before taking office, Canadians told us to do two things. They told us to invest in people and in families, and they told us to grow the economy for the long term. So that's what we set out to do. 
But for me, the first thing we did was we set out to listen. In January, I crisscrossed the country, speaking to as many people as possible across the country about how we could work together to grow our economy. And I can tell you we heard from about a quarter of a million Canadians, and we believe it really worked. In places like the eastern townships and rural Manitoba, people told us about about the importance of high-speed internet in rural communities for small businesses that are trying to compete locally and globally. From Dalhousie University, where we held a town hall for students, to the University of Calgary, students told us about their struggles with debt and the opportunities, their concern about their opportunities after their graduation. So we addressed much of what we heard in those consultations in our budget. Solutions to many of these problems are now part of our government's plan. We like to think that we heard Canadians and we followed through with this, our first budget. But more broadly, in all parts of the country, Canadians talk to us with passion about their livelihoods and their concerns for their communities. Most of all, they talked, they talked about their kids and they talked about the future that they hope to provide for them. Dans les quatre coins du pays, les Canadiens parlent avec passion de leur travail, des communautés où ils vivent. Mais surtout, ils nous ont parlé de leurs enfants et de l'avenir qu'ils espèrent pouvoir leur offrir. Ils nous ont dit qu'ils avaient de la difficulté à prendre le dessous, que ça coûte cher d'élever les enfants et prendre soin de parents vieillissants. Ils veulent que leurs enfants puissent aspirer à un avenir meilleur. Nous savons que les gens travaillent fort. En retour, ils s'attendent à ce que le gouvernement travaille fort pour eux et ce que l'économie leur offre des possibilités. At the core of our plan is the notion that when you have an economy that works for the middle class, you have a country that works for everyone. So that's why in December, at our very first opportunity, we cut taxes for nearly 9 million Canadians. With our budget, you will have seen that we took even bigger steps to put more money directly back in the pockets of families with children through the new Canada Child Benefit. It's a plan to help families more than any other social program since the introduction of universal health care. It will give 9 out of 10 families with children more money every month to spend on everything from school supplies for their children or healthier food for their families. So we believe that by targeting our actions to those who need it most, we not only strengthen the middle class in our country, but we know with this new benefit that we're going to lift hundreds of thousands of Canadian children out of poverty. And for us, we believe that that's real change for Canada. But in addition to providing direct help to families, we need to make strategic investments in order to grow the economy for the long term and we know that we need to better position Canada for the global economy of tomorrow. And that's why we have to look at all of the investments we make today in the context of how they'll help us to build Canada's future. We've committed that over the next 10 years, as Danny mentioned, our government will implement a $120 billion infrastructure plan that will help reshape Canada in the 21st century for our children and our grandchildren. As an immediate first step, we announced in the budget that the first phase of our infrastructure plan invests 
$11.9 billion over the next five years. These investments will accelerate our transition to a low-carbon, clean growth economy. They'll help us to make traffic flow more smoothly, to create and repair affordable housing, and so much more. But I know you're here at 7 a.m. in the morning to hear also what this means for the city of Toronto. So I, I want to say to start that I'm willing to bet, not this morning because you got here so early, but during the past week, probably virtually everyone in this room has been stuck in a traffic jam at least once. We want to try and do something about that together with our partners in the city of Toronto and the province. Mayor John Tory's made a compelling case for keeping public transit as a top priority for Canada's biggest city. And by extension, we can see that for all cities that are coping with fast-growing populations and what we see as aging transit systems. So to start, Toronto will be eligible for a portion of the $3.4 billion public transit infrastructure fund. And $1.49 billion of that will be invested right here in Ontario. We've also committed to tying our funding levels to ridership. And this is significant, obviously, for a province that accounts for 44% of all public transit ridership in Canada, and where over 1.5 million people take some form of public transit every single day. We know that the money's going to help Toronto make needed upgrades, which could include purchase of new subway cars, low-floor buses, and streetcars. But we're also taking a first step on a new high-frequency rail service linking Windsor and Quebec City. Over the coming months, we're going to evaluate a via rail proposal that could one day build a dedicated track that will make it easier and faster to get to where you're going from Toronto, whether you're going east or west from our city. And Toronto will remain eligible for a share of the annual $3 billion for infrastructure projects that have been committed through the gas tax fund and the incremental GST rebate for municipalities. So by now you know that uh, people and infrastructure are at the heart of the plan that we've put forward to Canadians. But perhaps the greatest untold story of our budget 2016 is that it takes a huge leap in positioning Canada in the global economy of tomorrow, an area where Ontario is leading the way in many respects. In my budget speech in the House of Commons, I use the example of Waterloo as a model that Canada can and must build on. Yesterday, I was in Kitchener-Waterloo to meet with Communitech. Many of you will know Communitech. It's an industry-led innovation centre that's dedicated to fostering and supporting tech communities in uh, the Kitchener-Waterloo region. The ideas generated from there will inform future investments and programmes that support startups small and medium-sized enterprises, and in particular, women in technology. Even closer to home, we have another centre doing similar work, the Ryerson Digital Media Zone, or the DMZ, which is another shining example of a successful incubator working to support entrepreneurs in our city. The leaders of these organisations can see what's coming in the future economy. And they know, as we know, that making Canada more innovative, will truly require all hands on deck. Communitech and the Ryerson DMZ have tapped into a, a basic truth that we need to face in our country. 
we all need to be better partners with each other across sectors and disciplines so that together we can build a stronger economy for today and for tomorrow. And we believe that our budget 2016, we told Canadians that the federal government is ready to do its part in that partnership. In the next year, we're going to define a bold new innovation agenda that will position Canada as a centre for global innovation. We want to be at the leading edge of the changes happening in the global economy, not just because it's good for tomorrow, but because it's good for today, for people living here and working here. To get things started, our budget 2016 really covers the waterfront in support of post-secondary education and institutions. We've targeted students as well as the places where they study. One of the important measures we put in our budget is it will increase Canada's student grant amounts by 50% for students from low- and middle-income families and for part-time students. And we committed to investing $2 billion over three years for a new post-secondary institutions strategic investment fund to modernize on-campus research, commercialization, and training facilities. We've also committed to investing an additional $95 million in discovery research through the granting councils, the highest amount of new annual funding for discovery research in more than a decade in this country. Finally, we'll take a page from Communitech and Mars here in Toronto and Ryerson DMZ by working with stakeholders to identify and build on regional strengths in our country. And we've committed to providing $800 million to support innovation networks and clusters across our country. We believe this is a good start on a new agenda. We know that we need fresher, broader, and more collaborative efforts to embrace the innovation opportunities that change brings. And we know that working together is the Canadian way. The public sector needs to work together with the private sector to help to create the conditions for success for all. So I know that many of you know this and that your organizations are already actively engaged and involved in the research and development space. But I'll say here that we need to do more. Business investment in research and development is absolutely paramount to our success. And I'm calling on you as well as business leaders from across the country to work with us as we take on this challenge. With your help, we know that we can put Canadian-made ideas, products and solutions in the storefront of the new global economy. We're confident that this approach will bring around economic growth now and for the years to come. But a big part of our budget is we know that this will all be for naught if all Canadians, and if especially those Canadians in the middle class, don't benefit from our shared success as a nation. After all, how we treat our most vulnerable people in our society is really a measure of what kind of society we choose to be. So in our budget, perhaps the best example I can give you of our renewed efforts to ensure that we are helping the most vulnerable is our efforts to ensure that Indigenous peoples share in Canada's prosperity. I'll start by saying what we all know. It's simply unconscionable that we live in a country where children live without access to clean drinking water. So in addition to very significant investments in education, both on and off reserve, 
we're going to take important steps to put an end, finally, to boil water advisories on reserves by investing nearly $2 billion in water and wastewater infrastructure. And we know that we have some other communities that desperately need our help. We've committed to doing more for veterans in our country, the men and women who've dedicated their lives in service of our country. They've earned our gratitude, our respect, and our support. So we're working to make sure that we take care of them when they need it most. We're also providing significant support for affordable housing. This is an issue of critical importance in, in my riding of Toronto Centre, but really across the uh, GTA. I can tell you that when I was chair at St. Michael's Hospital, I was continually struck by the link between proper housing and health outcomes. Doctors would tell me point blank that the road to healthier communities, especially for our most challenged citizens, would always be through affordable housing. And I can tell you that that made a real impact on me. Some numbers are probably helpful in this, in this situation for, for all of us to understand. Right now in Toronto, about 265,000 people live in social housing of some kind, including shelters. And you may not know it, but there are nearly 95,000 people on a waiting list for affordable housing in our city. So that's equal to the population of Belleville. So the number, unfortunately, is rapidly rising, and it's rapidly rising especially amongst seniors in our city. And so you understand the average family is waiting up to four years to access affordable housing. And of course, that's an average. So in many cases, it's actually much longer. Well, in our budget, in budget 2016, we've committed to investing $2.3 billion over two years in support of affordable housing. This includes doubling our support for the investment in affordable housing initiative with an additional funding of about $504 million over the next two years. The funding will help to support low-income families, as well as the construction of new affordable housing units, and will also be renovating and repairing existing units across the country. We're also providing... <laughs> we're also providing $200 million in dedicated funding specifically targeting seniors in our country. And finally, and very importantly, through partners at the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, we're going to establish an affordable rental housing innovation fund, providing over $200 million over five years to test new ways to encourage more construction of affordable rental housing in our country. This investment is expected to support the construction of up to 4,000 additional affordable rental units in our country. Beyond that, we're going to work together towards developing a long-term solution that aims to help make the social housing sector more self-reliant. And we look forward to consulting with Canadians on a new national housing strategy. I can tell you that I'm personally committed to this initiative, as I know my colleagues are from across the country. As people in Toronto know better than anyone, our commitment to the most vulnerable is critically important. But what I can say is that our commitment to the vulner most vulnerable doesn't stop at our borders, and, and it, it truly hasn't over the last year. I'm proud of the fact that our community has emerged as a shining example of a welcoming nation to nations around the world. Over the past few months, 
We've all been touched by the outpouring of support that this community has shown to Syrian refugees. The efforts of people like my friend Mohammed Al-Zaibak here, who's uh, co-founded Lifeline Syria, and countless others represent the very best of our country. And I want to thank so many people in this room for all that you've done in this area. In our budget, in this spirit, we've taken additional steps to welcome newcomers to our country, which we know are also vital to the Canadian economy. In fact, we intend to welcome 300,000 new permanent residents to Canada in 2016, which is the largest number in a century, and many we know will choose to make Toronto their home. We're also going to step up our efforts at family reunification, which we know is so important for families. And through that, we expect to see 20,000 admissions this year under the parent and grandparent program. So budget 2016 is really just the beginning of our new government. I want to conclude by reminding all of you why we're doing all of this. When I was in London and Paris and New York over the last week, and when I had the opportunity to represent Canada at the G20 meetings in Turkey and Shanghai, I realized that the, the global consensus is almost exactly what Canadians are telling us right here at home. Investments in the economy are needed now more than ever. And we find ourselves in a very lucky position because we're at a time in our history where we have both the capacity and the willingness to act to make the future better for our children and for our grandchildren. We believe that we need to seize this opportunity. We can't afford to let it go. Thanks to leadership in our federal government in the 1990s and the 2000s, Canada now has a very manageable debt situation. Our federal debt to GDP is low. It's the lowest in the G7 countries. And we've committed that by the end of our mandate, it will be even lower than it is today. So combined with very low interest rates, this means that we can make the necessary investments to strengthen our economy with confidence and in a responsible way. But I will say that having the capacity, it's not enough. We need to have the resolve to follow through on sustained and strategic investments, guided by a vision of a future in which all Canadians have a real and a fair chance at success. So this is our government's central mission we're choosing to take advantage of an historic opportunity to invest in people, to invest in our economy, and to prepare Canada for a brighter future. Of course, we recognize that this is only the beginning of our work. We have so much more to do together. But we know that there's no limit to what we can achieve as a country together. And I want to say, and I'm so happy to be here this morning, that I look forward to working with all of you to make sure that Toronto and Ontario and Canada live up to our enormous potential. So thank you very much for coming out so early this morning, and thank you very much for being part of this new effort to make Canada better. Thank you. Thank you, Minister, and thank you for taking, uh, again, the time to elaborate on some of the important initiatives, transportation, education, innovation, housing.
But before we let you and everybody else uh, enjoy breakfast, as they say, you've got you to earn your keep. So we've got a few questions for okay. you that we, uh, we prearranged. And uh, thank you for indulging us in answering them and elaborating a little more on some of the themes you've addressed. So we would, the first question is the, to please expand on the rationale uh, for going into deficit. That is something, obviously, that is at the top of everybody's mind. And what ultimately you know, is the government trying to achieve uh, by taking on uh, these deficits in these times and, and running deficits uh, uh, in the context of, of what you've proposed, how are we all going to see that return on our investment uh, sooner rather than later? Okay. <laughs> so I have more than – the nice thing about uh, coming here this morning is what I found out, which I didn't know before when I went to the House of Commons, is you only have 35 seconds to answer your questions. <laughs> So uh, I, I suspect you'll indulge me for longer than <laughs> 35 seconds. Absolutely, we have you indulge you for time. You know, I, I would like to re reiterate really what I just said. We, uh, we look at an era that we've been in. We've been in an era where growth has been uh, relatively weak. We look at the uh, demographic challenge that we're facing as a nation. We uh, are in the challenging situation where the number of retirees versus workers is changing dramatically, and that will present a challenge for us. We recognize that Canada as a country is uh, not as productive as it should be. When you compare us to other countries, we are not as productive as the United States uh, or a number of other G7 countries. We also look at the environment that we're in, as I mentioned, the lowest interest rates in history. And the fiscal capacity of Canada, which uh, is very well understood outside our borders or by rating agencies, uh, is uh, very strong. So we have the lowest net debt to GDP. So it provides us with the fiscal capacity to actually do something about uh, this low growth environment. So we're committed to making investments that will help us to grow the economy. We know that these investments need to uh, do two things for us. They need to ensure that we're actually going to create a a more productive economy over the long run, so they actually need to enhance our growth rate. And we really hope that what they'll do is they'll help us to, in the shorter and medium term, get more and more Canadians working at a time where, where we can afford to, uh, to spend on those things. So our commitment is to making investments that will do just that. We believe that by making these investments in infrastructure, we'll create the, the base of a society that will allow us to get people and goods and services to market more rapidly, creating more productivity. They'll help people's lives along the way. We believe that by investing in innovation, in students, in research, it will help us to create a more productive economy for the long run. And as I said, there's, there's consensus that this is the right thing to do in this economic environment. What we will commit to do is remaining fiscal, fiscally prudent along the way. So we're going to be carefully focused on ensuring that our that net debt to GDP, which is a very important measure, declines over the term of our mandate. And uh, you know our expectation is that we'll be able to generate a rate of growth that is stronger than would have been otherwise by making these investments. So you touched on, again, some critical factors there, which is productivity, and, and growing the economy. And a key to that, in, in, and obviously in the experience of these people in this room and for many of us, is the investment in cities. So you talked a little about, about the investment in Toronto public transit, but can you tell us a little bit more of how that, the role of cities, productivity, and that investment, some, some more specifics on what you're thinking on that front? 
Well, I, I can tell you two things. First of all, our, our efforts to work together with uh, cities and provinces will be exactly that, to work together. So we're going to be collaborative in our efforts across the country. We recognize that the federal government shouldn't be in the business of choosing the projects to work on. It needs to work together with, with partners that actually are on the ground and close. But the goal is to ensure that the places where Canadians choose to live are, are increasingly more and more productive. We recognize in a city like Toronto that the investments in public transit, as an example, have not kept up with the pace of population. So we're stepping forward to say that investment is required and it needs to be collaborative. And then we're going to work together to make sure that we have a, not just a federal investment, but it's a federal investment combined with provincial investments, combined with city, municipality investments, and hopefully combined with investments of institutional investors so we can find a way to amplify our investments over the course of time. So that's our goal. And that is the base from which we want to create a more productive society. So, so as a foundation, people need to be able to get to work on time. As a foundation, we need to have enough affordable housing so people who are working in, in these cities have the capacity to find a place to live. From there, we do need to think about what is the way that we build more productive environments. So we identified Waterloo for a reason. So the nexus of the University of Waterloo and the University of Wilfrid Laurier, Waterloo with its co-op program, together with research institutes like the Perimeter Institute doing basic science, together with, you know, really... Uh, great firms that have built there and, and helped to create really great jobs, firms like BlackBerry and OpenText. These firms have really have made a real difference there. So we, wanna, we want to, on purpose, go out and try and find a way to encourage that to happen across the country in a way that may have happened organically in Waterloo, but we want to make sure that we have the opportunity to do this in other parts of the country using federal activity to stimulate that opportunity around the country. And we think that's going to help Canadians to have the kind of exciting and innovative jobs in the future that we know will be important if we want to be a country that, that is at the leading edge of, of technological change. Now, we, we've got some great institutions here that maybe could partner with you. So if we can help facilitate any of that this morning, <laughs> let us know. Um, and again, just to elaborate a little more on this as, we, as you've kind of taken us through your remarks from broad to more specific and you talk about uh, housing, and there does seem to be uh, an emphasis on this basic building block uh, of the family here uh, in your budget and in the, the overall vision of, of, of the government. So what is it that brought you to that sort of uh, mindset and that framework when you're looking ahead to this budget and the future? Well, we, we, uh, in our, we believe that as we, as we went around uh, Canada in our campaign, um, that we, we had uh, Canadians on side with, with us in recognizing that we, we have to have a society that as we get more wealthy collectively, that we ensure that that goes to all parts of our society. So if we look at what's happened over the last generation, we have had a situation where as society's gotten wealthier, it hasn't gone to all cohorts of society. So we've focused on middle-class Canadians that have not seen the same income growth over the last generation as other parts of society and said, how can we help out? So changing tax rates for the middle class was focused on that. Rethinking our Canada child benefits so that, uh, you know, to, to put it bluntly, someone like myself, mm -hmm. I was getting a universal child benefit for uh, my children that were under 18. And uh, in my estimation, I'm probably not a good target for 
uh, for that child benefit. <laughs> so, so we rethought that child benefit so that we could take the money that we were spending and spend it on Canadians that really needed it. So Canadians that were, uh, that were earning less income and that had more of a challenge. So that's what we've done. And looking at things like housing in our country is just a recognition that the, the housing stock for uh, affordable housing in our cities have not kept up. Mm-hmm. Not only has the renovation and, the, uh, and the, the rebuilding of those structures not kept up, but the new affordable housing is just not there. The statistics that I just mentioned in my speech, the, the 95,000 people on a waiting list in Toronto, I don't know if there's anyone in this room that thinks that's good enough, but I don't think that's good enough. We have people, and, and uh, it, they're really across our city, who are struggling to find places to live. So, so we think that finding ways to, to encourage people to build more affordable housing, finding ways to ensure that the affordable housing we have is acceptable for people to live in, is an important building block because people are not going to be effective, productive members of our economy if they don't have a place to live and if they can't get to work. So these are the starting points. And from there, we're going to work on helping the students of today become the innovators of tomorrow by thinking about how we can ensure they stay in school and how we ensure that we are innovative in building you know, research organizations that can really take on the global challenges that we need to take on to be the country that we want to be in the future. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Minister Moore. Thank you. We'll let you off the hook. God willing, the best days of this country are ahead of it. Now I'd like to ask uh, Gordon McIver to come up to thank, to thank you and adjourn. And, of course, we need one more do picture. Do people still get to have breakfast? <laughs> they do get okay. to have breakfast, absolutely. It's going to be better than ever. So let's take one last photograph together here. Okay. Okay. That's it. Just to... Wonderful. That's great. Merci Danny et un grand merci surtout à Monsieur le Ministre pour ce, ce très beau discours ce matin. Je pense que le premier budget d'un nouveau gouvernement est particulièrement important parce que ça établit non seulement le rythme de travail et le programme de travail, mais aussi le ton que ce nouveau gouvernement va adopter avec les Canadiens. Alors, Monsieur le Ministre, on va tous suivre votre progrès avec énormément d'intérêt. Uh, Minister, it's a rare occasion, like, like Danny mentioned, to have this many hundreds of people gathered so enthusiastically this early in the morning to hear uh, any speaker. And it's a tribute to you and the message that you, you bring to this room that it's so full today. Canadians, we would agree, as well, have reacted really favorably to this first budget, uh, with its commitment to increase investment in innovation and technology, the new emphasis on clean energy initiatives and a reduced carbon footprint, a realization that large infrastructure projects in areas like transit, water, waste management, and uh, housing are fundamentally important to, to the well-being of our economy, and a recognition, and I was particularly so pleased to see this, that we must finally take seriously the many issues associated with living conditions in Aboriginal communities. Now, some of these issues are not always considered to be politically sexy, but most Canadians understand that they're extremely important, and that's why we believe they've lauded this budget's unwavering commitment to ensuring that these areas are tended to, uh, and that gives us a strong base for future growth. Minister, I think you're, you probably are quite aware that these are two really old clubs. I think they might, in fact, be among the oldest clubs in, in the country. They've both existed for well over a century, and throughout the years have served an important role in Canada's national dialogue. 
the Canadian club states, for example, on its homepage that before instantaneous news coverage, prime ministers use the club to reach out to Canadians, particularly in times of crises like, like war, for example. Our records at the Empire Club show exactly the same thing, and we even actually recently discovered that in, the, uh, in times of uh, old, all new members of Parliament were given copies of all the speeches from our club to help orientate them in the new job and help them de- deal with the myriad of issues that, uh, that they'd be called on to deal with in their, in their day-to-day activities. Over the past decades, our two clubs have come together us on numerous occasions, uh, but especially to co-present finance ministers. That's been, that's been a real tradition, and I think that's a clear recognition of the fundamental importance that both of our clubs attach to this particular document. Uh, it's, it's in many ways a blueprint for many of the new initiatives and renewed commitments that the country will make over the coming years. So today's presentation, we believe, is a testament to the continuing importance of these presentations and the fact that the government still sees a role for us in helping to reach all Canadians across the country. Danny talked about instantaneous, instantaneous communication and social media. Certainly, uh, that gives people a wider choice on how they receive their news, social media, and it's allowed our club to bring the messages that we have not only to people across this great country of ours, but right now we know that there are hundreds of thousands of people that listen to most of these speeches around the world through our global webcasts and podcasts. So it's, it's an important reach out. And uh, for this to happen, of course, though, the content must, be, must have three things. It must be critically important, interesting, and relevant. And your presentation today scores extremely high in all three of those categories. So it's therefore my great pleasure and honor to sincerely thank you for your visit here this morning on behalf of our two clubs, and we wish you much continued success as you take this message to our fellow citizens across the country. Thank you, Mr. Minister. Now, it, it is unusual to do the toast at the end of a speech, but we're, we're about to begin breakfast now. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please join me and raise your glass and uh, perhaps even stand for five seconds. And could we have a toast to our great country, to Canada? Please be seated. And I'd like now to do, also do a, a draw uh, for the Empire Club. Do we have the... There we go. And uh, Mr. Minister, could you draw the, the winner, please? And the winner today will receive a, a membership, a one-year membership to the Empire Club, which is our tradition. Do you want to announce it, Mr. Minister? Robert Deleuze. Congratulations. Congratulations. That, <laughs> that, that name, I think, rings a bell with all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, this ends the formal part of our proceedings this morning. So on behalf of my colleagues at the Empire Club of Canada and the directors at the Canadian Club of Toronto, we want to thank you for coming out so early this morning on a cold spring morning. Please enjoy your breakfast and have a wonderful day. Thank you very much.